From the Southern Oral History Program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, this is Press Record, the podcast about the joys and challenges of learning history by talking to those who lived it. I'm Carol Prince. We are back at Press Record, and in honor of Veterans Day, we're releasing a special edition of the podcast that features oral histories with veterans. I want to start out by acknowledging that in recent months and days, the nation has been faced with an immediate challenge, perhaps like none other in recent memory, of how to speak to and listen to each other. And this challenge, I think, resonates deeply on Veterans Day, a day that honors those who have sacrificed their lives for the country. Oral history, fundamentally, is a practice that is rooted in both talking and active listening. And here at the Southern Oral History Program, we are proud of and committed to this mission and believe that it can play a central role in moments like this. Yet even when we're listening, sometimes that we choose to hear from are shaped by our own intellectual and political orientations. So here at the SOHP, most of the military veterans we have talked to have been activists in social justice movements and have very complicated feelings about their time in the military. This in no way means that we do not want to hear from or showcase those who embrace or see their service differently. Our ongoing Veterans Oral History Project, conducted by our undergraduate interns this year, we hope will add new voices from local veterans. And we believe that oral history allows space for interviewees to reflect back on their time of service and have ownership over how they frame their experience in the military. So in this episode, you'll hear from students and veterans navigating this process. First, you'll hear from graduate field scholar, Kimber Thomas, who discusses her role as undergraduate internship coordinator, leading an oral history project on veterans. Next, you'll hear from the interns participating in this project and their experiences as first time interviewers of local veterans. Interspersed, you'll hear some clips from the interviews that they recently conducted. Finally, you'll hear some archival excerpts from the Southern Oral History Program's interview database. The narratives you'll hear range from an African-American Vietnam veteran who discusses his difficulties adjusting to life at home after his deployment, a North Carolina public servant reflecting on the positive character lessons he learned during his time in the Army, and two veterans of the Iraq War discussing their experiences with mental health and community during and after war. So I should say that the idea for this podcast came from fellow graduate field scholar Kimber Thomas. Kimber is the undergraduate internship coordinator at the SOHP. As the coordinator, she is a mentor for a small group of undergraduate students who get to spend a semester here learning about methods and practices in the field of oral history. Each year, the internship has a different topical focus, and this year's project is on veterans. A few days ago, I sat down with Kimber to talk about the project. This fall 2016 mm-hmm. sort of topic of the seminar is, is veterans. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the decision-making process to go that direction for the internship and how you thought about designing the seminar? 
Right. So there was an article that came out in the Arts and Sciences Journal, which um, talked about how Odom Village, which was a former residential community on campus, um, is transforming into a new space for student veterans. And so we sort of felt like this project was timely, and we have a vibrant community of veterans at UNC who are such a vital part of our campus community, and we wanted to preserve and share their stories sooner rather than later. Okay, and so you had the idea for the project. How do you go about finding people who want to be interviewed? Yeah, well, Amber Mathwick, who's the Student Veterans Assistance Coordinator at UNC, uh, she's been super helpful. And so I sent out an advertisement to her newsletter, and she's been pumping us up and promoting it every week. And people, if they're interested, they contact me, and then I put them in touch with the students. And that's how we've gotten most of our interviewees. And can you talk about what kind of discussions y'all were having in seminar to prepare them for interviewing? Right. So... I thought it would be best if the students heard about this information from the veterans themselves. So I contacted a bunch of guest speakers to come in and talk to the students about these issues. And this worked well for us because the interns were not only getting a chance to hear about these concerns from the people who actually experienced it, but they were becoming more comfortable with actually talking to and interacting with veterans themselves. So as I mentioned earlier, Amber Mathwig, she came in and... um, We did a green zone training, which was super helpful and introduced us to military history and just the veteran experience broadly. Can you talk about a little bit about what green zone is for people that don't know? Green zone training is for faculty and staff at UNC who wish to learn more about the military affiliated student experience. So you did a green zone training and the interns did a green zone training? We did a collective one. So I was in class when it happened and we were all participating in it together, which was super helpful. Do you think that there are unique concerns when interviewing veterans for an oral history project? And how did you talk to the interns about this? Yeah, there are, absolutely. And so um, we didn't want to ask our interviewees leading questions or questions that would trigger past distress or traumatic events. Um, We also dropped all of our preconceived notions about who veterans are and what they do. Because as we found out, people join the military for a wide variety of reasons, and not everybody is a combat veteran. So we tried to keep that in mind as we were preparing. I invited two guests to class, um, a U.S. Army vet named Rusty Edminster and a member of the U.S. Navy Nurse Corps, Bernie Donato, and they were super helpful. We went over our interview questions with them, with actual veterans, and I think that made the students feel more comfortable. It made me feel more comfortable, and uh, the two of them really coached us through, and they've still been helpful for the students. Well, can you um, finally just talk a little bit about what y'all are doing with these oral histories and what you're doing at the Earl Scruggs Center? Sure. So we have a final performance at the end of the semester. So the students take the most intriguing or surprising moment from their interviews and they put together a script and they perform this script. Uh, We're having two performances, one here at the Love House and one at the Earl Scruggs Center in Shelby, North Carolina, in collaboration with their special exhibit on music and the military. Um, So It's a surprise for now, but we have some interesting sound design, oral history things going on, um, and the interns are working hard on it, and I think it'll be great. If you're looking to learn more about performance dates for the Veterans Project, 
please check our website at www.sohp.org. Official dates will be announced in the upcoming weeks. More information about the SOHP internship and past projects will also be on our website. And make sure to follow the internship on Twitter, at SOHP Interns, to hear ongoing updates. So after talking to Kimber, I met with a few of the interns to hear their thoughts on working on the Veterans Oral History Project this fall. Most of them were first-time interviewers, and we talked a little about their experience interviewing veterans and what they learned more broadly about oral history. Well, my name is Kalicia Harrell. I'm a senior, and my major is Women's and Gender Studies, with minors in Spanish for the Legal Professions and African American Studies. Uh, my name is Tony Liu. I'm a senior. I study geography, and I have minors in Religious Studies and Anthropology. My name is Grace Thorpe. I'm a senior women's and gender studies major as well as a studio art minor. How did y'all go about finding your interviewees? Well, um, Kimber had this Excel sheet up that had some um, <laughs> names of some like potential veterans that we could interview. And then I went on there and I saw that we had um, an attorney who was also like a representative for North Carolina. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, cool. He's an attorney. That's where I eventually want to go in my life. So I was like, let me just interview him and see how that will go. And so talking to him was eye-opening, and it was very exciting. And it also gave me like a very homey feeling because he reminded me of my grandfather mm-hmm. as he talked to me. Yeah, um, I, I was put in touch with my interviewees through class, a class contact. Um, we had a speaker, Bernie Donato, come, and she's part of a group called Team Red, White, and Blue. I wanted to specifically interview Asian American veterans and she put me in touch with one of them and then I think I was able to like really challenge my own conceptions of what it meant to be Asian American along with being a veteran, right? How, you know, veterans have multiple intentions for enrolling in the military. Being Asian American is like also very complex, you know, my interviewee. uh, wasn't born in this country. I mean, I think it's a like, really good grounds to like to look at because like veterans themselves, right, are um, you know this population that kind of floats around and how we talk about like oh yeah, veterans. Of course, Veterans Day is next week, right? But like you know, how often do we like, really know what's going on in their lives or what they've experienced um, other than like filtered through various media? So I think it's cool to hear it from the firsthand um, counters. Can y'all talk about, you don't have to go around the circle, you can even talk to each other, like, what were some, yeah. <laughs> what were some uh, particularly challenging moments during your interviews, and how did you handle those moments when they happened, and what did you learn? That concept that we talked about of whether to push or to not push, where I know, um, I just had my interview this morning, where um, while talking to my interviewee, there were moments where I did not feel it was appropriate to push or that the interviewee was giving me as much as they were either allowed to or wanted to give me about that situation where I think there definitely is that struggle of wanting to know more information but also wanting to respect your interviewee's boundaries about what information they want to give out about their experiences. I felt the responsibility of having someone share their narrative with you where I wanted to do so in the best way that I possibly could where you know, having high expectations of myself um, being the person responsible for sharing someone else's story 
what do you think oral histories capture from veterans that maybe written sources don't? Why is oral history with veterans important? So um, one part in like interviewing process, like when we asked push like sound, sight, and smell, like what stuck with them, and I found it very interesting. Like some of the um, answers that my representative gave me was like, there is uh, a smell of Afghanistan that I can't describe. It's not overpowering, and every once in a while I'll get a, a whiff of something that uh, smells like that here, and it, it takes your takes you back to your memories in Afghanistan. Sites also, um, the, the mountains around us. Afghanistan's got huge mountains, um, very, very tall. Um, but they're almost all, at least when I was there, there was a drought and they're all brown and, and rocky and limited uh, tree cover uh, at all. And I haven't seen much like that, but... Um, Went, of all places, went uh, was in Utah. Got off the plane at Salt Lake City, and the mountains there looked exactly uh, like the ones at Bagram. And also, my vantage point was the same. It, you know, Bagram is an airfield, so it's in a plane, um, so the planes can land there. Mm-hmm. And Salt Lake City is is somewhat situated somewhat similarly. So when you land at the airport, you're surrounded by mountains too. And so that uh, the site of the mountains. Definitely stuck with me. Uh, from the army in general, you know the smell of uh, army machinery, whether it's a diesel-powered vehicle or a generator or that sort of thing, are everywhere. And when I smell one of those in the civilian side, that uh, very much reminds me of my time in the army, both in Afghanistan and just in stateside. Mm-hmm. Also, um, you know the the smell of uh, guns being fired is, is a distinctive smell. So. You don't smell it too much unless you go out to the shooting range. Um, and that's that's one of those smells I associate with the Army, too, of course. It's intriguing how something, what we consider so minor, can bring back like a big memory for anybody. I think I really appreciated the, um, the more narrative questions of describing sights, smells, sounds, because I think... Um, from my interviewee's perspective, I got a lot of painting a picture and, you know, taking you to that location and to that place and to that experience. Um, anything from what the street smelled like um, to mascara running down their face because they lost a friend in combat. You know, so just to being able to get that, that visual imagery and to be able to hear, I think oral history is so important because you get that voice and you get that intonation, and you get that... You don't get that on paper, and by reading that yourself, where you can interpret that in so many different ways, but when you actually hear a person talking about their experiences, and you can hear how they feel about them, or what they think about them, or... Oh, I remember one time being on the airfield, going out on a mission, and I saw... And I was probably only like a month in my deployment, but I saw um, another helicopter that people were... And they had all their bags... Tell that they were going home. I remember thinking, um, you know, that's that's crazy. That's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be us. And then it was us. And of course, we um, we went home without, um, you know, our teammate. Um, she had her body had been brought back prior. Um, so that was really surreal. Then thinking about having come into country and all having been together, 
and never having really thought, like I knew a CST would be killed um, eventually, but I never thought that it would be one of us. Um, and of course the night that she died is, is fairly vivid just with, um, I mean I very much went into like operation mode, um, but then you know it all kind of sunk in later. Um, so just a lot of moments of questioning. And I'll tell you one other one. I can't believe I didn't think of this one first. Because um, this is, I remember being asked at the buyer general. Um, he talked to all of us before we left. And he asked what our most memorable mission was. Um, so it was this one mission where I felt like... Um, we were actually the good guys because there were a lot of times when even though you do a good job you don't really feel like a good guy because you're taking someone's husband or dad and sometimes the women are like just don't take my sheep like take my husband just don't take my sheep um so but you know sometimes you're like i don't know you know you're doing the right thing but it doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like it doesn't feel heroic doesn't feel doesn't feel good um You will hear from the following four people in the last part of our episode who reflect on their service in different ways. Jerron Belton is a native of Durham, North Carolina, who was a member of the armed forces from 1965 to 1968, serving in Vietnam from 1966 to 67. He designed the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Durham, North Carolina, and the interview was conducted in 2012. Greer Martin, from Charlotte, North Carolina, has been a member of the North Carolina State House of Representatives since 2005, and a soldier in the U.S. Army Reserve since 1991. Kalisha Harrell, one of the undergraduate interns, interviewed him this past fall. The final two interviews you will hear come from an oral history project the SOHP conducted on military dissenters from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Damon Mullins, from Brooklyn, New York, was interviewed in 2006 about his time in the National Guard in Iraq. He has been involved in counter-recruitment efforts and community outreach, and in this clip, talks about masculinity. The final excerpt you will hear is from a 2005 interview from Florentina Daisy Garnanias. She identifies as a gay Navajo woman and served as a medical worker in Iraq and Kosovo and later became an activist who protested the war. And you came back from Vietnam on March 1967. Do you want to tell yeah. me a little bit about? Okay, when I came back, uh, and I was going to stay in the military, but so much other stuff was going on, racism, in the units when I came back. Because uh, i never forget one unit. I was, uh, this officer asked me was I qualified to wear so and so and so. But he hadn't been to Vietnam. He didn't even know what he was talking about. I told him, yeah, I said, you can go in there and look at my DD-214 you want to. But anyway, I was going to stay in the military, but I, I decided, I said, no, I don't think I could deal with even going back to Vietnam because I know had I stayed in, 
I would have been sent back to Vietnam. I, they, they, I would have gone back to Vietnam. But I had friends who went back for second and third tours. You didn't talk about I didn't talk about it. And people, I know when I did come home, nobody met me at the airport. Uh, nobody knew I was coming home, really, <laughs> until I got came home. But nobody met me at the airport, and you didn't talk about Vietnam to nobody. And you had a lot of group of veterans, maybe, that fought in the Korean War, would say, oh, they didn't fight no war over there, no way, they ain't nothing but crybabies. So you didn't talk about the war during the time that I came back, you know, and and like I said, had I not found a job, although I got out when I did, had I not found a job with all the negative stuff that was going on, I probably would have went back, gone back in the military. So are there any lessons or skills that you learned in the military that you've held onto throughout your life? Oh yeah, yeah. I think <coughs> um, don't quit, but uh, when well, I think it's a Churchill quote, but if you're if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't don't stop. Don't stop there. And uh, I th the military is big on just trying and not quitting. That, that that's uh, that can get you through a lot of things. That if you know if you're like me, you lack intelligence, ability, and that sort of thing. Just being willing to gut it out can get you pretty far and make up for things you lack up right. elsewhere. You lack elsewhere, and so that served me. Very well in politics, um, whether it's just in, in a sort of mental and almost spiritual way, not giving up when you're uh, trying to get something passed or trying to stop bad legislation from happening mm -hmm. and getting beat on, beaten up on it and not stopping, not quitting then, <coughs> or to just flat out physically not quitting. In 2010, I had a, I used to have a competitive district and had a, you know, a, a race where I could have lost my seat. And so I knocked, went out and knocked on doors in my district for 70 straight days. Um, and then only stopped to go sit out at early voting for the next week or two. And that was a beginning, that was probably beginning in August, July or August, I think. Mm -hmm. So in the hot North Carolina sun, seven days a week, rain or shine, out there doing it. And that came directly from the discipline, um, both mental and physical that I picked up in the Army. Um, I still can't believe I, I was able to, to do that. So that definitely is something I picked up uh, in the Army. My last mission in Iraq, when I came in, my uh, patrol, we, when we drove into the camp, there were all these people from my company there to greet us, saying, wow, this is our last mission. We made it home. We're going home alive. You know. So. Uh, and my executive officer, he walks up to me, he's like, you know, you're a man now. That's what he said to me. And I thought about that, and I still think about that now, like daily. Because is violence, is, is it acts of violence that make me a man? Or is it my potential for violence that makes me manly or masculine? You know what I mean? Um, and I think that that... The military really plays on that. First of all, I mean, from just childhood, you're socialized into this uh, ideology of what masculinity is or you know manhood is. You're fed these images and these, you know, and then 
just joining the military, it's like you're trying to prove that you are a man, you know? And then to say that you're a man because I experienced combat, you know? How did that make me a man? I was 22 when I first went to Iraq. I was already a man. The, the, the violent acts that I performed, does that make me more masculine? Or does that make me uh, an alpha male amongst like civilians now, you know? And it's, it's messed up because regardless, like even though I know this, I internalized that that I learned, all, that, all those things that I learned, those negative things that I learned about masculinity and violence and things like that. So I internalized that. So even though I know, like consciously, I know that it's wrong, in some ways I, I like exert myself and in, a, in a violent way, or, you know, sometimes to show that I'm a man. But when I think about what I'm doing, uh, You do carry it. It's always within arm's reach, your weapon, everywhere. You have to so take you it didn't you. have that experience. Oh, yes. You have to carry it everywhere. It was kind of surreal. I, I had a bicycle to get around the, the base, you know, because it was huge, like two two miles. It was just a big base. And I had a bike. So I get my little bike helmet on and, you know, gloves, and I just get ready to sit on my bike. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, my gun. You know, I just strap it across my back and ride this bike down the road. And I was you're like, what the heck? How is this... How is this happening? It was just very strange to have experiences like that, carrying your weapon and, you know, you go to eat and you take it with you and you go to the bathroom, you take it with you and you go on missions, you take it with you, you go to work, you take it with you. If you leave one building to go to the next one, you can't, you know, you take your weapon with you. It's always, always with you. You had to have it at all times. Do you ever miss it now? No. <laughs> no. I, I did. So you've kind of moved beyond that for yeah. yourself pretty much. Yeah. When we were in D.C., we had a, a, um, a morning of Vietnam veterans and Iraq veterans talking, you know, discussing our strategy moves, what the organizations will be doing. And we spent a morning discussing post-traumatic stress disorder. And I always knew something was wrong with me when I got back, but I, I just... You know, I was just like, oh, really? I had probably, I was just, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired or I'm a little stressed. It's nothing. And I'd always put it off. But when I was there, we started talking about post traumatic stress disorder. We're listing all the symptoms. And I'm just in here like, oh my gosh, I've got that and that and that and that. And, and I'm like, oh my God, I've got post traumatic stress disorder. I, I didn't, didn't really, didn't really click that that was something wrong with me until I was there. And, uh, Tell me, for you, what what does your future look like now? I just want to find find my my passion, what I what I want to do with my life, and I have no idea what I want to go to school for. I have no idea of a career or future job. Just I'm sort of you know in limbo, waiting to make a decision. Just up, everything's up in the air, and I just sort of just live each day take it one day at a time. can't really... There's a lot of things I want to accomplish with my life. <laughs> I want to write a novel, write a marathon. Thanks for listening to Press Record. As always, we want to hear from you. If you have thoughts on oral history with veterans, email us at pressrecord, S-O-H-P, at gmail.com. Tweet us at SOHP Oral History. 
subscribe and rate us on iTunes, or like and comment on our Facebook page, which is publicly searchable under Press Record Podcast. From the SOHP, this Veterans Day, we hope that this podcast has helped you reflect on how veterans make meaning out of their service in different ways. As always, thanks again for listening, and see you next time on Press Record.